So we're jumping into Acts again this morning, uh, beginning chapter 4. And, uh, and just remember where we have been, and that is uh, that Peter and John in accompaniment had healed this cripple in, as they were entering into the court of the Gentiles uh, into the temple and or actually in the court of the Jews uh, in the temple, and he was, he was lame and had been his entire life, and uh, they raised him up, and he was walking around, and I can imagine he was probably dancing around and, and that sort of thing, and gathered a lot of attention to himself because people were familiar with him. He had been there probably most days for a very long time begging. Uh, that's how he was able to provide the things that he needed to live on. Uh, and that sort of thing, but it's caused a re, uh, quite the stir uh, in, the, in the whole temple that this lame person, and apparently everyone there knew that he had been lame, and suddenly now he is up walking around and dancing and prancing around the temple complex. And so, a lot of attention falls upon him, and because of that, a lot of attention falls upon Peter and John as well. And Peter has already preached one time, giving certainly all the credit for the raising of this man up on his feet uh, to Christ Jesus, uh, whom they had crucified not so many weeks before who had always also been raised from the dead and now had ascended back into heaven. Uh, chapter 4 has to do with the fact that uh, some of the officials take exception to what's going on. The same sort of thing we saw happen with Jesus over and over again in his ministry. So with verse 1 in chapter 4, we're going to read through 22. As they were speaking to the people, the priests of the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, uh, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done on, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that uh, a, noble, a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom the sign was, uh, of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter is preaching now for the second time publicly to very large crowds. We're not told where he was when he preached the first time, but here we know that he is uh, in Solomon's portico within the temple complex, a very public place, uh, probably one of the most public places that you could find in the whole country of Judah. So, so Peter and John are not hiding out in remote villages or anything like that. They're not just in Jerusalem. They're going to the heart of, uh, of the Jewish people into the, the temple complex, and it is there that he is preaching this second sermon. His preaching was creating quite a stir. Thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they come because they're greatly annoyed, not because Peter was speaking, but because they don't like what he is saying. You need to understand it was a common thing for people to do what Peter was doing. The problem with what Peter was doing was not what he was doing, it was what he was saying. They took exception to it. They had tried a number of times to silence Jesus by expressing their authority. And now they attempt to do the same thing to Peter and John, and you know, even though John hasn't taken quite the center stage that Peter has in all this, you need to understand that John is right there with Peter going through all this. It's the two of them together. They were speaking tells us something. There wasn't just Peter doing all the talking. That John was also speaking. Peter's first sermon resulted in the conversion of 3,000 souls to Christ. This, this second does even better, 5,000. I would imagine that if many years before that you talked to Peter when he's still back on the Sea of Galilee doing his fishing and you would have told him what God was about to do in his life and what he was about to do in the lives of other people through him that Peter ever would have thought in a zillion, billion, quadrillion years that anything like that was even possible. But now it's all happening.
They did everything they could to silence Jesus because he had threatened their power and position. Now their intention is to do the same thing with John and with Peter. They didn't accomplish what they intended to with Jesus, neither will they accomplish what they intended to with Peter and John. They will not be silenced. The reason they won't be silenced is because they are being true to the commission that Jesus called them to, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He also said to them, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which they are being at this point, and in all of Judea, which they will, and Samaria, which they will, and to the end of the earth. We will see John and Peter and the rest of those apostles to be obedient to the great commission that Jesus had given to them. Reality is that Peter and John are just simply being obedient and doing what Christ had called them to do. Now, Scripture does encourage us to be submissive to those in public authority over us, right? You understand that. But that is not without restriction. We cannot obey them if they command us to do something the Lord has told us not to do. Neither can we obey them if they prohibit us from doing something the Lord has told us to do. That there are indeed limits to our obedience to the public officials. Sometimes I don't think we appreciate near as much as we ought to our freedom of speech. Some of you have traveled around the world more than the rest of us. Some of us have traveled somewhat. But we know this, that the United States is a land set apart for a lot of reasons. And one of this, these is that it is the land of the free. People who are free to speak whatever they wish to speak. I would imagine this because we know that the founding fathers, uh, the ones who wrote the Constitution, were Christians uh, virtually to the man. And you wonder why in the world freedom of speech was so important to these guys. And I would imagine that one of the principal reasons that they insisted, all of them insisted and put these things into the Bill of Rights is that we would be free to speak our religion above everything else. What I mean is this, is that our freedom of speech goes hand in hand also with our freedom of religion. Thank the Lord that we live in such a place that we can do that. Because it's a rare place indeed in this world today that people have those rights.
There are actually places in the world where evangelism is illegal. Where if you try to tell anybody about Jesus, then you could wind up in jail for it. And yet what you'll find very often in those places, our brothers and sisters, they do it nonetheless. Knowing that they are going to suffer as a consequence of it. Very often putting themselves at great risk and in their families as well. My point being this, that of all the lands in this world that have ever existed, you and I have a greater degree of freedom to tell anybody and everybody about Jesus that we possibly can. With no consequences, they might get miffed at us. Somebody may get upset with us on occasion. Somebody might even call us a bad name or something like that. But we don't have any fear at all of winding up in prison because of something we tell someone. And I think that's a precious right that our Christian brothers and sisters ingrained in the Constitution for a lot of reasons, and one of those that you and I would be free to do evangelism. You would think of all people that when confronted with the truth of the gospel, that these religious leaders would... What do they do? They resist. They resist John. They resist Peter. In essence, they're resisting the Holy Spirit. We know that we are going through a major cultural shift. Not just in the United States, but in the world as a whole for the most part. The shift more and more away from Christianity and more and more towards secularism. And we know that there are a lot of people out there today that would love to shut the church up. That there's a growing number of people out there that would love to shut the church up and even shut the church down entirely. But just as Peter and John and all of our brothers and sisters down through the history of the church have been faithful in continuing to spread the words, so must we be faithful in doing so also. What is Peter doing? The only thing he's doing is preaching the gospel. In his sermon, he says something that's very basic, but one of the probably the most central thing to the message of salvation. Verse 12, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
one of the most basic statements and, and almost conclusive statements of Christianity that you're going to find in all of Scripture. Jesus himself had said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except in me. That's as about as exclusive as you can possibly get. These, these things are true, or they're not. The amazing thing is even though they disregarded and rejected uh, the message of Peter and John completely, the Jewish leaders were quite impressed with them. As a matter of fact, what the Greek tells us is that they were astonished at Peter and John. They were amazed that these simple-minded fishermen were able to teach the way the manner and the things that they were teaching. Because they had not been educated in the schools of the Sadducees or the Pharisees. As far as the West goes, I think it's very safe to say that there has been absolutely nothing that has impacted the culture of the Western world over the last 2,000 years than Christianity. Nothing comes close. Spreading more into the East. There are a lot of people who believe this today, that to be a Christian, it means you have to dummy down. You have to dummy down to believe all that, no that nonsense. And you know me. I used to be one of those people. I used to think it was laughable that you guys would gather in church on Sunday morning and praise this God that did not exist and so on and so on and so on. Look at me now. God did it. God did it. should not really surprise us that all of the apostles even though they all had humble beginnings became master scholars in the years that followed the ascension of Christ because they had studied under the supreme teacher master for three years And you and I know the rest of history. That all of these guys really truly were faithful to that great commission. Yet that during the tenure of their lifetime that Christianity spread through the Mediterranean 
like a raging fire. The longer that I do what I'm doing, the more thankful I am for the privileges I've had to study under some very great men of God during our time. I would not trade my education for anything. I mean, most of you know that I sat under R.C. Sproul and Richard Pratt and Ed Clowney and Tim Keller and Sinclair Ferguson, J.I. Packer and so on and so on and so on and so on. But can you imagine sitting under the teaching of Jesus? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I was well prepared by my seminary, but can you imagine how much better prepared I would have been if I was John and Peter and the rest of those guys? sitting under the one and true master of all of this. It really is amazing. I would imagine that if, 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 if you started talking to people that John and Peter and these other guys grew up with, they would have told you, if you told them what was going to come to pass, what they would have said, that can never happen. You're talking about the wrong person. That person is not going to do that. That person cannot do that. That person will not do that. And yet, look what God did with them. He took lowly fishermen, uneducated. And in three years, he made scholars out of all of them that amazed the people who were supposedly the educated. A notable miracle had occurred in their midst. They knew it. These rulers, these elders, these scribes, Sadducees and Pharisees, they knew it. They had no doubt about it. They saw it themselves, and they had absolutely no explanation for it whatsoever. So what did they do? They tried to ignore it. Pretend like it really didn't happen. And they warned Peter and John to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. That was like throwing gasoline on a fire. Peter and John said this, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What about us? Would we say the same thing about ourselves? How much do we speak out? How much do we say on the part of Christ?
the council. But they basically say, you do what you think is right, but we're not going to stop speaking and doing what God gives us to do. It would not be prudent, wise, to do otherwise. In other words, God trumps you and your counsel every time. <laughs> We're going to listen to him. One of the interesting things at this point is they don't, these officials, they don't uh, imprison John and Peter for a lengthy period of time. They don't move to crucify them as they had Jesus uh, and, and that sort of thing. You kind of wonder why. Because it had just been a short time since they had actually killed Jesus for doing and saying the same sorts of things that the apostles were now doing. There seems to be some degree of fear in them at this point because maybe some of them have heard about this resurrection and maybe they think maybe there's some truth in it or something like that. Or maybe it's this, they pulled it off once but they're afraid if they try it again it's going to blow up in their face. Now, they will eventually, in short term, actually arrest Peter and John and some of the others. But God will send forth one of his angels to rescue them. <laughs> and then what are you going to do? Not much. Peter will eventually be martyred in Rome 40 years later crucified upside down and crucified upside down because he was going to be crucified and he asked that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy in his own eyes of dying the same death that Jesus did. John, on the other hand, will be the only one of the apostles who does not suffer martyrdom as far as we know. He will die in Ephesus many years later in old age. And we are told that John, uh, in the years before his death, that he had a message that he just said over and over to the people, and that was this, little children love one another. And I would imagine that if he appeared among us this morning, he probably would say the same thing to you and to me. Little children love one another. Both John and Peter dedicated the rest of their lives to preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't change it. They didn't water it down. It's the same message that we speak forth this morning. You ever wonder what you would do if 
Suddenly there was a posting on the door from the governor of Florida saying, you shall cease and desist from gathering for worship on Sunday mornings. Or something else along those lines. You ever wonder what you would do if you were in the cauldron? I hope you do. I hope you're not one of those people who are just so confident that you would speak forth in truth regardless of the circumstances. Because I can tell you right now that none of us in this room know exactly what we would do if we found ourselves in the position that Peter and John were. We might like to think of what we would do, but until we were in those shoes, we would not know for certain exactly what we would do. Would we speak forth for Christ, or would we cower to the power and the authority of the people above us? You know, when the COVID outbreak started, and, uh, they, and President Trump was encouraging people not to meet together in groups of 50 first, and then it went down to 20 or 10 or, or whatever, and the session met, and we decided that uh, because of the circumstances that we were going to halt the worship services. We were going to put them online through the duration of uh, the, the whole business and all of that. Let me tell you something. I hardly slept that week at all. Because I felt like the government was telling me to do something they had no power and authority to do, period. One of my fears is this, is we've allowed the church, in a sense, by shutting down to a large degree, allowed precedent be, to be set for future things that might come along. And we understand that there's a growing number of people in the world that loved it when the church was silent for that short period of time, and they would love it to stay if stayed that way. But let me tell you, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to be here. We're going to do what we're doing every single Sunday morning from now until the cows come home, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. That we have been given that freedom of speech, and we need to use it to the full of its intention and a good bit of it, that, that intention was for you and I to be free to practice our religion and to share what we know with other people. And I hope and I pray that if our time comes, and it could come, we understand this culture is moving in that direction, there could come a time when you and I are on the spot. But we have to be faithful to our Lord. We have to be faithful to his message even in times when it's very uncomfortable, even in times where there may be some terrible thing that might happen to us as a consequence of it. This is our calling, to testify and witness to Christ Jesus in everything that we do, in everywhere that we go, in every way, every conversation that we have. 
especially with the unbelieving world around us. We have the message it needs desperately, and it doesn't even know it. Some way we be Peter's and John's. And regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, show ourselves to be faithful to our calling. If you're waiting for somebody's permission for you to go and do it, it's not coming. You already have it. Christ has given it to you. Share what you know. Let me tell you, everybody in this room that truly is a believer, you know enough to tell other people about Christ. And let me just tell you something. Your own personal testimony is one of the greatest evangelistic tools that you have. Especially if you're one of those people who remember a time when you weren't a believer. That's all you need to know. Do you understand that? Tell people what you went through. And you'll have those opportunities. Do it. And I know this. I know that sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's difficult to engage some people in religious conversations. It is. But I'll be honest with you, I, can, I, I have talked to I don't know how many people about the gospel over the last 30-something years. You know how many people have gotten upset with me and walked and stormed out of the room? You know how many? One. One. There are a lot of people out there that are dying for somebody to tell them. They're waiting. Don't make them wait any longer. Be a Peter, be a John. Be faithful.